Hey there, film fans. I'm Jeff. I'm Dave. And I'm John, and welcome back to The Love of Cinema, a pod in which we'll challenge one another to discuss movies, both new and old, with a strictly positive, critical eye. That's right. And to avoid lazy negativity, people, we have decided to make this here episode a drinking game. Drinking game. I'm back in action, baby. Anytime we say anything negative about a film or each other, or if we say something stupid, you're going to hear a sound that goes like this. And that means we have to drink. And we hope if you enjoy this podcast and you want to have a good time, you can drink along with us, too. So pour yourselves a glass and... uh... Let's hit the beach. Guys, I'm starting to like, imagine us like in our old age, like hearing <laughs> that buzzer played at some points and just like reaching for glasses. Like we're, we can't, our dementia is <laughs> super kicked in and we're just like, all we know is to yeah. keep drinking when somebody presses yeah. that sound. Yeah, someone, oh someone wants me to take your pills. They just put the pills in the hand and hit a buzzer. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, at a man. wedding, instead of like, instead of like tipping the glass to drink, there's just going to be buzzers everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh, if, you're new to, if you're new to the podcast, welcome. Thank you so much for checking out our episode here on The Lost Daughter, directed and adapted, meaning written by Maggie Gyllenhaal. If you're new, of course, we always try to keep the first 10 minutes or so spoiler free so you can get our initial takeaways. We do try to keep it positive, but we also try to shoot from the gut, unlike some of those stuffy critics who try to get all heady and explain things about the movie. We want to tell you how we feel. What do we think seeing the movie? What was our initial reaction? And then when it's spoiler time, we'll send you on your way and you can check back in with us once you've gone to Netflix and checked out this film. But before we get into it, we got to head over to John and shout our people out. So let's do it. We got some 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 help here on this podcast, one of which is a beer sponsor. Perhaps you've heard of him. His name is Carlos Barozzo. You can give him a follow over there at Instagram. The handle is cbarozzobar.beer. That's C-B-A-R-O-Z-O-B-A-R dot B-E-E-R, baby. And if you're digging the music on this episode and every single episode, it's provided by the artist Dasein. That's Dasein, D-A-S-E-I-N. Head on over to soundcloud.com forward slash Dasein dash artist, and you can download all that music for free. So why aren't you doing it? And hit us up as well. We are on all the socials, at the love of cinema pod everywhere, except for Twitter. We're just at the love of cinema. Like us, love us, message us, talk shit about us. Do whatever you want. We want to get into it. Let's talk movies, I, I should, I should I should put out, actually, uh, on our, on oh, our yeah, socials yeah. on YouTube this <laughs> week, we, we did have someone come at us over our 1941 oh, so episode. Uh, okay, I, I just I just want to clarify. Just because we don't like the movie doesn't mean you shouldn't. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. yes. like he came out hard. I mean, it's obviously one of his favorite and he movies. And he, he came for, he came he came out hard for, for 1941. 1941. So you know what, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> it's all in good fun here. Honor. I uh, I, I am totally down for. Maybe I'll give that movie another shot at some point. Mr. Spielberg made probably my favorite movie of the year this year. So m- maybe I should uh, give 1941 another chance. You know what? Uh-uh, I'm, not, I'm not doing it. What's funny is when Steven Spielberg did West Side Story and, there, and he was like, it's my first musical, you know, except for the, um, oh, yeah, I forget yeah. what it was called, at like the, the USO section or whatever, yeah. in 1941, as if everybody in the audience like had that in their back pocket. They're like, what about that scene in 1941? The notoriously your worst movie in which John Belushi literally wore a shirt that said Steven Spielberg, 1936 to 1941, as in that's <laughs> the day he died like and he's in the movie it's so funny that this guy goes to bat for this movie that we're not the only ones who don't like that and yes we're a positive podcast and we try to keep it positive i failed last week and i admit that i accept that that was hard i had to sleep on that knowing i failed the conceit of this podcast but we're we're gonna say what we actually think like we yeah. a lot. Like yeah, that was fun though. Thanks for coming after us, dude. Yeah, call us out whenever we uh, we slip and we drink Absolutely. too much and we talk shit we, about we, things. Yeah, come after us. That is not the MO We definitely here. welcome counter opinions. <laughs> yeah, people came after me for what I said about "Don't Look Up" last week, but two of us <laughs> liked it. So go check out our "Don't Look Up" episode. Yo, both these right. movies were shouted out at the uh, Golden Globes that didn't exist last night. But um, the what? <laughs> what, what? What are you? What? What award show are you talking the sh- about? The, the shadow. <laughs> the shadow Golden oh, Globes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I completely that underground film festival. I had, I, yeah. got, honestly, I had no idea until I'm, I'm a daily listener in my Times Daily podcast. I had no idea that that was taking place last night. I am in the L.A. I, I'm in the zone. I feel like I, it didn't get. Not a whisper about that happening. Yeah. I had no idea. So good for Will Smith. Who else won some things? 
Uh, Rachel Ziegler from West Side Story won Best Actress in a Musical or Comedy. Uh, Andrew Garfield won Musical or Comedy Actor. Ariana DeBose Mm. won Supporting Actress for West Side Story. Cody Mm. Smith-McPhee from The Power of the Dog won Best Supporting Actor in a Movie. And we Mm. are talking about The Power of the Dog next week. That also won Best Director Jane Campion and Best Drama Film. Uh, Best Musical or Comedy. I want to say it was Being the Ricardos. I can't. Yeah. I think that's what won that. And Nicole Kidman might have won for that as well. No, she didn't. She obviously lost no, to um, Rachel Ziegler. Yeah. Uh, I forget who won actress drama, but yeah, there's a lot. And then TV is like succession and hacks. Uh, you know, I'll tell you usual, what, it's kind of weird how there. these things go in waves. Uh, I think, I think it's safe to say that they're not the only ones probably, but I think Jane Campion and Steven Spielberg are going to be in contention for best director. They're probably going to be the two big choices this year. And uh, it's kind of weird that they're not from the exact, she's, she's younger than him, but she came of age at a time when Spielberg was like really at his height in the early nineties. So I still think of her as a, a pre millennial, certainly filmmaker. I think she came of age in the eighties and nineties. Uh, so it's yeah. kind of cool that we're going to see two of the, the masters, the older yeah. masters, like show us how it's done. <laughs> yeah. Everything is on Netflix this year. What the fuck dude? Yeah. Well, yeah, daughter Netflix. power of the dog. Um, I think everyone was playing it safe. Cause there like, were two other films. Are, yeah. Theaters are Don't a gamble right now. Don't look up. Thank theaters you. Are Thank a you. Um, man, I mean, if you can't yeah. get people to go see West Side Story, for fuck's sake, Isn't that crazy? like nobody, nobody's going to see your indie film at this yeah. at the, at this moment. West Side so, Story yeah. just got a streaming deal too, and I can't remember if it was Netflix or not. It might be, well, I, I can't remember, but it's you'll be able to see that soon. Um, I was going to say what there's one other thing too about awards. Oh, um, yeah. um, I will say too. So other monsters are maybe not going to be in the directing category, but Belfast won the screenplay award again. The Golden Globes oh, yeah. don't mean anything, but that and Licorice Pizza for best original screenplay. Those two sure. should be very yeah. curious. Uh, Kenneth um, Branagh those are big names for Belfast. Kenny Branagh, Kent, I call him yeah. Kenny. Kenneth Branagh and uh, Old Tyron Hines for supporting actor. Judy Dench supporting actress were nominated, uh, but yeah, Paul Thomas Anderson for Licorice hmm. Pizza. Um, yeah. Anyway, cool, 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 cool. So weird. They lit- I heard they literally live tweeted it. That's that's. Was that a joke? They live the tweeted it. Isn't that, isn't that they, funny? They no, 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 that's real. That is, wow, like, yeah, because nobody Man. would pick them up. They didn't. They didn't, even have, they didn't even have a streaming service for it. Yeah. So they just live tweeted it. All right. My let's God. move on to this movie here. Um, so again, next week, Power of the Dog for us. We did Don't Look Up last week. All of these are Netflix films that you can stream right this very second. So, what do you say, guys? Do you want to get into Netflix? The Lost if you're Daughter? listening, we're a uh, we're, we won't say no to a sponsorship. If you, if you want to come They're not going to give us a goddamn thing. They're going to save their money for when they give another comedian $60 million. How about like uh, okay, a refrigerator so- magnet? How about like some stupid swag? Like I would still use that. I would put it up somewhere. Come on, Netflix. Netflix is like Instagram. They're everywhere until you need them. And then they are non-existent. Okay. A woman's beach vacation. <laughs> A woman's speech vacation. A woman's speech vacation. This is The Lost Daughter. This is written and directed Mm. by Maggie Gyllenhaal, adapted from the novel of the same name by Elena Ferrante, which I didn't know until after I'd seen this movie, but I don't mind mentioning it for our listeners. Elena Ferrante is a pen name, and Maggie Gyllenhaal never met Elena Ferrante. They corresponded via email. Nobody really knows the personality of this person except for their manager, agent, publisher, I guess. Um, so even Maggie Gyllenhaal doesn't know the correct name for this person. I believe that's true. Well, that's uh, based so on cool. everything I was hearing. <clears throat> um, she actually, Maggie Gyllenhaal is a very well-read person. So everybody is out it, there who's trying to make films. It's a 45-year-old um, trucker named Greg. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. It's a man. It's a man who writes great movies about mothers. Um, oh, that's funny. Read. I it was read a man. Books. It's just named Greg. Uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal reached out originally about a different book by Elena Ferrante, and then she said, okay, well, what about this book? And uh, both books were already in development. One is a movie, one is a series. So Maggie Gyllenhaal was like, okay, well, I like you. What else do you have? She said, read The Lost Daughter. Maggie Gyllenhaal said, okay, I love this book. I'm in. And Elena Ferrante wrote a contract and said, you can adapt the screenplay under one condition, that you direct it as well. And Maggie Gyllenhaal had never directed a feature film. So here yeah. she is. She gets the go-ahead to direct this fucking book that nobody had really thought to buy the rights to. Only if she would make her feature film debut with this film. She did a short during COVID. But holy crap, Maggie Gyllenhaal, first time go. What a way of going about it. And then, of course, she goes to Olivia Colman first, who is our lead. You also have Jesse Buckley, Dakota Johnson, Ed Harris, Peter... 
Sarsgaard, who might know mm. the director pretty well. Paul Mescal from Normal People, Dogmara Dominic. I think that's how you say her name. Apologies if not. And moving on into our brief description based on the IMDb blurb of what The Lost Daughter is about. This came out December 31st, I believe, 2021 on Netflix. A woman's beach vacation takes a dark turn when she begins to confront the troubles of her past. Friends, as always, we like to start with our initial reactions. Dave or John, who would like to take it away first with your initial reactions? What did you think of The Lost Daughter? I'll kick it off. I watched this very late last <laughs> night in bed, like alone. Um, girlfriend was asleep. I was working really late and I sat down probably later than I wanted to. And it was it was kind of the right movie for like a weird late night scenario. Like it was hypnotic. It was uh, the way it's filmed with this handheld work and this cutting back and forth between some timelines that we'll discuss later in the show uh, with her, her past. Um, it just felt so um, un uncomfortably intimate in a, in a lot of really tactile ways. They were, they were shooting on a lot of really wide angle lenses right in Olivia Coleman's face. Some, you know, they were cutting out sometimes, but the way it felt watching it was what's staying with me the most subject matter. I'm looking forward to this discussion because I think we're going to unpack a lot of the actual story elements, which are on its face. You can probably talk about it very simply, but the way I'm sure it's written like this too, or I wouldn't be surprised if it was written like this, the way Maggie Gyllenhaal chose to kind of film the, the way she covered the different time periods in a very similar way, depending on what was happening in the scene um, it was suffocating sometimes. Sometimes it was, like I said, it was more like hypnotic. And sometimes I felt like, uh, like I couldn't really get a grip on what was happening. But um, it never, but I mean that in a good way. I, I felt like she knew what she was doing. I didn't know Maggie Gyllenhaal directed this when I watched it. Um, oh. I think when I, when I looked it up after mm. the fact, I was like, oh yeah, I totally knew that. And I had just forgotten it. Um, this felt, I mean, she must be a real cinephile. This felt very influenced by, you know, Italian New Wave and a lot of French New Wave and stuff. People well, who were coming out. Of I the should mix. I should point out, um, it was her first feature, but she was also working with a DP who has like thirty years experience. So it was yeah, like you can tell. two two artists at eye at each end of the scale, <laughs> basically, which yeah. is really beautiful. And of course, she's no stranger to filmmaking. You can't have a yeah, career absolutely. like that as an actor and work with these amazing directors <laughs> over her lifetime and have a brother and parents in the business and and not just absorb how to go about trying to tell good stories. And, you know, you can tell that I love when actors take up the helm because uh, it's always fun to see people who are, they approach a script from character. You know, sometimes I think people have to learn how to do that. And it was very obvious to me that uh, Olivia Coleman seemed like she felt very comfortable in her director's hands. I felt like she was breathing in that character the whole fucking time. I don't know if you guys felt the same way, but this was kind of one of those movies where I was like, I wonder what conversation they had First of all, it's attractive. We're going to go to this kick-ass island and we're going to have a lovely time. We're going to film for maybe a couple months maximum. Um, probably, you know, a DP you've heard of, a good cast. Uh, it's, you know, but this is the kind of movie that doesn't really get made much anymore. And I, I, I hope that doesn't sound negative. It's just, it's not like this really intensely dramatic, like high stakes, compelling thing. It's a very, very intimate, introverted drama about one woman who's kind of on holiday and just kind of reflecting on her past. You just don't see a lot of movies like that get made in America anymore. So I thought it was refreshing. I don't know what you guys thought. Dave? I'm on the fence on this one. Yeah, um, I can see. Yeah, there's, yeah. A lot of, there's a lot I liked, and there's a lot that I was just like, I, I, where is this going? This is dragging. There's like, like a lot, not a lot happens in this movie, and it, that's on purpose. But it didn't just, some of the, some of the like present day stuff didn't sit right with me. Uh, first thing I noticed though was it, it's in 1.66 aspect, which you just don't see a lot anymore. Yeah, it's made. Yeah, I'm curious. Um, well, can they, you they name a couple other Netflix. films? Do you know another couple other uh, films that's filmed in that day? I'll not, look it up right not now. Not modern day. Um, like, Meaning like a computer, like the ratio of your monitor, right? Like uh, the ratio of the picture. Yeah, 1.66. Um, like 1.33 is 4.3. This is 1.66. So it's not quite 16 by nine. Hmm. Jackie. Um, uh, Pablo Lorena filmed Jackie in that. Yeah, well, the for a while, um, interesting, interesting. For for a while, this was the European widescreen standard, one point six six. Oh, beautiful! And it's also the native aspect of Super sixteen. Now, I don't know if they shot this on Super sixteen because I can't find anything about how or what this was shot on anywhere. 
Oh, so, but uh, I'm very, I'm very curious to find out at some point. Yeah, I'm, I'm on the hunt for this. I want to know what they, whether that was why they made that choice for that, or whether it's because, because um, that frame size is also really good when you can push right into faces. Well, Did you, you think it was beautiful? It. Did you like the aesthetic, or? I went both ways. Uh, there were some times when I absolutely loved what they were doing, and there were times like when you get really close to a person and they're moving, it's they're going to go out of frame no matter how good you are. Right. And I, it, I felt like sometimes we kind of lost what was going on because they were pushed in too far. But again, like I got the same thing you did where they were like forcing you to be a part of it. It was very intimate and you were pulled in whether you wanted to or not. And so yeah. from a filmmaking perspective, I, I really did. I enjoyed a lot of what they did. Um, Performance-wise, I can't fault anyone on screen. I know, I know. Even uh, Dakota Johnson <laughs> yeah. was was perfectly yeah. like weird and almost unlikable. the The woman who played her, her was it a cousin, a sister? Like I yeah, hated I think, that woman. Yeah. Oh yeah. And she God, was phenomenal. Golly. Yeah. Um, like, because as 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 this happens, like it starts off fairly innocuous. Like it's it's literally just she's on a beach peace and quiet and tranquility and everything and then its natural enemy turns up tourists and they start inter- interfering with her calm and it builds from there and it's just that whole family they start off as annoying and then slowly get more sinister and by the time you realize what's going on you're like shit that's a little sinister like this is there's something not quite right here and they don't go too far with it and i kind of appreciated that Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I will say I enjoyed the past sequences much more than the present day. Interesting. Okay. Okay. I'm really glad I want to come back uh, after Jeff talks because uh, you're right about the performances and what she did with that tone of, that's what I was kind of saying. Mm. It's not this like crazy, it wasn't building to this crazy compelling plot point where they were all a big crime family that was going to kill her at the end of this in some like massive, mm. you know, organized mafia which is- hit, which you kind of thought it Maybe there was a chance they were going to try that to is, start unpacking that. Is, that, that and- is one gripe. That is one gripe I have of that though, like because the, the the opening scene kind of sets up for a climax like that, and it's a little but bit the of a mystery. It was able to create with just moments, just tiny little intimate in, internal moments yeah. where things that just annoyed her. But you're right. There's a perfect word. Annoyances over time became sinister, and you started getting scared because you started to realize the way she reacts to those things. Is what's unsettled. She doesn't really, and she doesn't realize right. the danger. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Jeff, what do you think, dude? Um, so I, I want to circle back to kind of everything you said, but let's. I'll stick with my initial reaction, and then we'll circle to all that kind of stuff. I, I think it. I think the trailer mattered for me. Maybe if you're listening to this podcast, maybe you're not thinking about the trailer as much. But I, I should also say that um, December thirty first is when this movie came out. And uh, Chloe and I love Olivia Coleman. We saw Broadchurch literally like, twice because we love Olivia. I obviously saw The Crown and The Favorite. I think I said last week, I was like, how can you not consider her among the greatest actresses? You don't think about it because she's not as cerebral or maybe as like Ivy League seeming as Meryl Streep, Kate Blanchett, Kate Winslet, um, you know, but she does everything she needs to do. She does, she does her job every fucking time. And like, she can go anywhere she wants at any time. She never pushes. She's always full. It's wild. So as far as what you said, John, about these movies not getting made, this is the kind of movie where it's like, forget, I know Maggie Gyllenhaal, you need a star. And for some reason, Olivia Coleman was that star. Um, otherwise, like if it was me, I'm, I'm obviously not a mom or anything, but like this movie would never get fucking made. You know what I mean? Like you no. need that. <laughs> right. But then maybe once you have Maggie Gyllenhaal and Olivia Coleman, then everything else probably falls into place. <clears throat> Back to my reaction. The trailer led this to be a thriller. Um, all uh, the trailer was, all the trailer was, was um, you see Olivia Coleman on the beach and then Dakota Johnson goes, where's my daughter? Where's the daughter? And everybody's freaking out looking for the daughter. And then it looks at Olivia Coleman. And then you have those lines like, oh, uh, do, you, do you have do- kids? And she's like, yes, I have two daughters. And then they're like, where are they now? She's like, I don't know. I, I, um, I don't know what happened to them. And I'm, I'm almost thinking leaving the trailer, like, is this move? Is she a stalker? Like, is she, is, is Dakota Johnson, her daughter? And she's like, I think they, I really, I don't think I was reaching to suggest that they were, they wanted me to think this is like a mystery like that, but it actually is that, but it's totally allegory. It's totally allegorical for, for motherhood, um, which I don't want to spoil anymore. So we'll come back to that when we unpack it. But I 
kept waiting like Dave for something to happen. In fact, with Chloe, so, okay, so I should say December 31st, we found out that we had exposures for COVID and we probably had fucking COVID. So we watched this movie on New Year's <laughs> Eve at 9 p.m. Oh my God, dude. <laughs> so, like, Jesus. so you Dave watched Don't Look Up as a New Year's Eve. Up, and you watched yeah. this. Uh, we watched this movie and it ended at like 11.10. So you want to you ring in the, the new year. the saddest <laughs> champagne bottle of all time at the end of this thing? <laughs> I mean, there are so many crying kids in this movie. <laughs> like, oh, dude. Really, dude. <laughs> this film is one of the best contraceptives I've ever seen. I wouldn't be surprised oh, yeah. if this show were getting Midwest high schools by the end of the year. <laughs> oh my God. That's okay. Well, well, we'll unpack that with sympathy, with empathy in a second. But that is true, I would say. Um, so anyway, my, my initial, me for that. I will say <laughs> I'm in the middle you know of my initial take and I haven't actually told people what I think yet. There you go, um, I'm not, I'm going to give it to you. <clears throat> I, I admit that out loud, I even said, this is not what I expected. They did things with bugs and the open windows. Like I, there were times where I was like waiting for something to jump out. I, I was waiting for it to be a haunting. Like I had no idea what this was going to be. Cause it was kind of filmed like a horror movie in some point. Maybe yeah. the whole thing, it depends on, you know, maybe, maybe they did a little genre bending a little bit. I think Dave alluded to that and maybe for better or worse, I think for better, I think overall I'm, I'm in, I'll give you my, my thumbs up on this movie, but Chloe even thought I didn't like it afterwards. And I even asked her for an out. I was like, do you want to switch something? And she was like, no, let's keep watching. And I was like, are you sure this is New Year's Eve? And this is our movie. <laughs> this is the time. And we were like, no, let's, let's go and let's see it, see it all the way through. And it's, it's, there is, it's a little troubling. It's, it's a little, it's a little disturbing. They take on conversations, very thriller, horror-like that um, aren't talked about. <laughs> all right and uh, i'll also say but but I, I i like it it was a little disturbing but it stayed with me kudos to the performances and i think kudos kudos to maggie so there you go that's my me take too i'm gonna say before we get into our our spoiler section i think i can say all of this in this part i think the main it's like a meditation and the reason i said movies like this don't get made much anymore it's scary it's, meditation it's unsettling um, but yeah, your thriller is not the right word. Like we can, that's a whole other conversation about the way these things get marketed to try to get people to take a chance. And sometimes that doesn't work. You know, somebody's going to get frustrated and they are going to turn it off because it's not what they thought they were being pitched. Yeah. But this is a symptom. It's not even, I'm not even saying it's a bad thing. I think it just is. We're, we're living in a world where series television is dominating our, you know, storytelling zeitgeist. So meditative experiential movies like this i wouldn't call this experimental but it would call it like experiential like there isn't a whole lot of story to it uh it this like i said the story is so simple that when you say it on paper you just know that oh this is probably going to feel like an art film if if they if they have the courage to try to just do that and not try to make it something more than what it is and i think that just right now for better or for worse audiences me include all of us we are kind of conditioned to say and what's next? And, and now what? And what's about to happen? Nothing's happening. You know, you kind of, it's tougher to watch these kinds of films. Uh, maybe Europe feels differently. I do think they still have a more independent market that embraces this kind of stuff because they're not trying to sell internationally. But well, I mean, um, Venice Film Festival gave this a four minute standing ovation. So, boom. See, there you go. I mean, <laughs> like, there are still places in the world where people want to see cinema like this. Uh, this, is, this is the only thing that I will say that I do think is a shame about where we're at right now. There was a time. In our film history, I think anyone who listened to our podcast, if you if you had some fun with us going back through the years when we did get movies from the 70s, which is like the new Hollywood era, late 60s into the 70s. These were a bunch of filmmakers who are, you know, legendary names now, but they were all heavily influenced by art film coming out of Europe. And then they they kind of took it up a notch and did some like really intense <laughs> kind of a, they put some America in it, like for lack of a put better some guns word. in it. But it was still patient, you know, it's still patient storytelling. This is just something that uh, it's almost like it's, it's like the tough novels. I don't know how this book read, but the movie kind of seemed to me like this is a this would be a tough read for someone who thinks they're getting a page turner because it said thriller on the airport book stand and they pick it up and they're like, this yeah. is not a thriller at all. This is poetic and meditative. So it's just um, a drama. I don't know. This is a drama, right? Like it's just a drama. So I still I still would challenge people and encourage them to. Just take a chance and just dip your whole body into this pool of med like there is a whole thing that can happen to you if you let it. And don't try to just turn off your story gauge. And I think you might be affected by it. Um, it's yeah. not for everybody, but I think you'll probably have a, 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 some kind of reaction to it. 
This, I mean, this is something that you don't you don't put on after you've watched something else, or it's it's not like in be- something you watch in between something. This is something you plan for a night and yeah, you put dude. it on and Good you call. plan to watch it. And it's like I'm going to sit here and I'm going to watch like this story unfold because there is a story in it. It's like not like nothing happens in this film. It's just in the like the present day storyline, not a lot happens. There's there's very little storyline there. It's all what little happens to her influences the flashbacks which is, i feel yeah, is where the real, real story is but this yeah. is definitely a movie you need to plan to watch like take yeah. the time yeah the get yourself some candles and totally yeah, put right, some yeah. oils on and yeah just sit down relax and be told a story for a, a while yeah I'm, i've actually I, I was a little more hard on it in my notes i've cut a lot of them now because <laughs> I'm, I'm actually realizing how much i did enjoy the story well, I think this is interesting, though, because this is what I think Chloe and I were talking about when we were like, did we like this? But I, I do. But I think she was surprised that I liked it as much as I did. I like movies that stay with me, even if I'm kind of disturbed watching them a little bit. And I don't mean to keep using the, the word disturbed. I'll just say that I was the, the movie always felt like it was on the verge of something happening. So I feel bad that we keep saying, like, nothing happened. But that's not really true. It's just like, as far as action and plot, yes, not a lot happened. But there was psychological shit that Good was going call, on. Dude. Yeah. And so you know it was like... Jeff, when you and I saw Boyhood together, I feel like we had a very similar conversation. We walked out and we were yeah. like, that was clearly a, an achievement. That was, yeah, it was yeah, a yeah. unique thing. And the tone was like, it felt like we were always on the precipice of something that could happen, about to happen. Is something going to happen? Like just that, that tension of like dramatic slice of life. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if anybody... Who who doesn't seek out stuff like yeah, this? I think I bet that's a lot called of people. That's called have dating. Not really seen it's something called dating. Like this. <laughs> <laughs> it's called dating. <laughs> Dave yeah, just yeah, had his beard in his hand. He's like, "Who's doing it?" Um, <laughs> yeah, but I know what you mean. I know what you mean because I, th- I said the same thing. And, and again, it was mostly because of the trailer. And I was like, "Okay, is that bug?" There's like a giant bug that comes in, and it felt kind of horror-like. Like it kind of reminded me of the poster of Silence of the Lambs, where they have that huge fly over the mouth. And I was like, "Jesus!" And then she closes the, the window, f- and I was like. <laughs> Or she the kept the window bowl? open and then she went to bed. Yeah. And I was like, you know, little things like that. I was kind of like, am, am I, are they fucking with me right now? <laughs> like, like, yeah, fruit bowl. Were, that yeah. was a huge steaming metaphor. The fruit bowl with the worms in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, You're right. It was so, we, was so we, much allegory. Should we, should we activate yeah. the spoilers? I'll give you a little bit more, a little bit more preamble that I think actually helped the mm. movie. Just since I read Entertainment Weekly article, first of all, Dakota Johnson was sort of the only one that wasn't like in her head out of the main cast. Um, she had worked with Dogmara previously. Dogmara's been around for a while. Patrick Wilson's wife. She was in um, the Counter Monte Cristo. She was the love interest to the Guy Pierce version in 2002. So she's she's in Succession. Oh, um, wow. She's the one who plays Callie, the pregnant woman. Um, but Dakota Johnson. Uh, just it wasn't in it wasn't in Maggie Gyllenhaal's head until she sat down with her and was like, "Oh wait, this is perfect." Also, this movie was originally supposed to be filmed in New Jersey on the Jersey Shore. What a different movie that would be! And even oh more surprising God. that Dakota mm. Johnson what wouldn't fit because she seems like a Jersey mom to me, like I like quintessential. Instead, they, because it was during COVID, it was during 2020, they found a remote island on the off the coast of southern Greece. Oh, that must have been horrible. Right. I know during COVID, like <laughs> yeah. you just move your, and they, I think they brought their families, but they had, so, so that's big change. Number one, that I think really worked, especially because Olivia Coleman and Jesse Buckley kept their British accents. And then, um, you know, Dakota Johnson could be American and, um, uh, Paul Mescal can be Irish and who the fuck cares? Cause you're in Greece. So it doesn't matter, you know, but also hmm. they had to do their 14 day isolation right before they started filming. So all of them filmed this movie after literally spending 14 days in a room by themselves. And you can so like those two things were not intentional. That's kind of perfect. <laughs> and they probably added yeah. to the movie, especially to the psychological shit. The other thing I'll say about the the book, and I said this last week when we were t- I just mentioned that I had seen it. This is this is a novel, and there is very little dialogue, very very little dialogue in this. And I think hmm. it's amazing when a writer has the yeah. gall to adapt a novel and take all of that, write it in the script but not have any of the characters say it. So they think it, they're getting fucked with. I mean, Ed Harris, like if Ed Harris brought out a machete at some point and started slashing people, I would have been like, total sense. Totally makes sense. Dude, you know seriously, I mean? well, the first time I saw him turn, I had because I hadn't seen a trailer or anything of this. I, I went in cold. I knew nothing. Yeah, and I, my note here literally just says, Ed Harris with about four exclamation points after it. Right. Because I was just so happy to see him on screen again. And it was, yeah. 
And the, the last thing I'll say actors, is, um, right? so yeah. well, actually, I'll say two things. Number one, Ed Harris read the script and he was Ed like, Harris. why would I do this? And then his wife read the script. He lets his wife read the script. And the wife was like, you have to do this. Amy, <laughs> this is about uh, women. This is about women. It's about motherhood. You have to do it. And he was like, okay. <laughs> and he did What's it. What's her name? Amy um, Pascal? What's her name? She was in Riley's. I'm not sure. Okay. Um, we'll look it up. Okay. So that, and then, um, I forget what the last, okay. the, oh, um, the, the, the two different characters playing, the two different actresses playing the same character. Um, it was intentional and it was even intentional. Maggie Gyllenhaal even told Jesse Buckley, apparently a quote, you can even dye your hair blonde for all I care. Your job is not to play Olivia Coleman because this is supposed to be a metaphor for all women to understand that this is the one thing you can't talk about where mothers at some point dream about what it would like to not be a mother of their kids. And so having separating those characters, which worked better That's... for one out of the two of us, by two of us, I mean, being Chloe, it worked better for one than another. That was, but like, I'll, I'll it was say something once we activate the spoilers because that. they wanted it to be universal more so than it to be identical. Okay, that's it. Spoilers. Spoilers. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna talk about plot Amy details. Madigan. So, uh, is it Harris's yeah, wife? Okay, go, so to, uh, go and uh, go and watch this on Netflix and uh, come back. And yeah, these are all the parts that we're gonna blow. All right, where do you, which where do you want to start with that, Dave? Um, I've forgotten what my point was. Damn it! <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we're about to be. We're about to do some spoilers. So let's just call it what it is. So basically, this whole movie builds to uh, Olivia Coleman is reflecting it through these bits and pieces of memory, the way things are intercut from the past uh, of when she was a younger woman and she was working her way through what looks like some kind of doctoral work in translation for Italian translations and. Um, comparative literature and she has two young daughters and at one point i think the first i don't know if you guys felt this but the very first time uh they really breadcrumb it they're in present day a child gets lost on the beach and they go back in time and one of her children is lost and i was like oh is this going to be about a child who who passed away like that's enough yeah i'm in ordinary people let's see let's see what happens Hmm. when she has to deal with you know another child like happening and reliving and it's not that it starts to build more and more and more and she basically eventually reveals that she left her family for a while she abandoned her husband and her two daughters for three years and it's about i guess her navigating the shame of that they do not clarify if she actually does have a relationship with them as adults she refers to them quite a bit when people ask her questions but they do a good job of not really telling you if she literally has a yeah. relationship with them. I think oh, at one point she that does was, talk that was to them my on point. the phone. But that was my point. I I love that. Like they, because normally in a Hollywood film you'll get someone to like they'll gloss over this sort of thing. It's like okay, she was not coping with motherhood, and she ran off and like and they they kind of gloss over that sometimes. They do not gloss over it in this. They went there, like balls to the wall, all of the repercussions of ex- like walking out on your family and everything. They, they, it was just all there for you to see. And it, it, it made her quite unlikable at the time, which I felt yeah. was a great, well, I felt that there was a great like aspect of the story. I did still have, you realize uh, that it, like, she's a, she's a flawed like lead as such. I, I, mean, I totally, I, I agree with what you're saying. Flawed. She's definitely a flawed need, but I also felt like they did a good job of, maintaining the there was an element of humanity that coaxed her away from her family i know that sounds that sounds really harsh and terrible but this she was finally starting to achieve you know this the whole commentary i had on what uh, i think olivia coleman's character was supposed to be in second wave feminism and the coming out of the probably into the 80s somewhere in the 80s when this was happening when and um second or third wave feminism and she was starting to finally get some success as her children were seven, eight, nine years old, and she realized there was a whole world for her. So I thought I thought they did a good job of maintaining some kind of empathy for her, even though she did this terrible thing. Because it, it definitely made she, you conflicted as like, a watcher. Yeah, it wasn't drugs or or you know something super dumb and irres not irresponsible is not the right word, but you know what I mean. It was it wasn't uh, it wasn't deadbeat. In the sense that this, she was a terrible person from the beginning. I think she judges no. herself ultimately for who she is and what she did over her entire life. She, she actually, but, she actually won me over in the first, uh, I want to say, ten minutes um, when she's on the beach, and he, he's like, "Oh, do you want, do you want anything? Do you want this? Do you want that?" And she's like, "What kind of pops have you got?" 
Who knows? I was eating. What pops? What are they called? Popsicles? What are they? What do they call them? Ice pops. Ice pops. She was like, "Well, what I what ice pops have you got?" And I was like, "Oh, that's so, yeah, it's just so fucking yeah, that, charming." That immediately won me over as a character, and so for for that, I was on board with where it went. Um, yeah, but yeah. like, I wasn't saying that like she's a horrible person. I'm just saying it. it yeah. They didn't. They didn't sugarcoat it at all. You're totally like, right. It was. It is, was there. It, they presented the facts for you to judge as you will. That is the story, isn't it? I mean, that is what this is about. I don't think it's almost useless to discuss plot. I have a very strong feeling that most of the conversations Maggie Gyllenhaal probably had with Olivia Colman was about this shame that I would imagine a lot of parents feel. I definitely have, I won't out them, but I have a, a, a friend in my life. And when he first had children, you know, he was talking to me openly about how difficult it was and kind of half joking, half not about like, sometimes you just want to fucking, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like, uh, yeah. it's, I, it, of course you do. Like, it's something that we don't talk about enough. It's just like, it's just like abortion or miscarriages. There are these unfortunate, inconvenient truths about what a lot of people go through to procreate yeah. and to try to maintain some kind of relationships and develop family. And it's disgusting. And we do not talk about it. Not disgusting in a that, judgmental way. It's just gross. That and little we don't girl like as well, by the it. way. Sorry? Just run away from that little girl as well. They're, like they're One of the oh. daughters who was just a terror. Yeah. She was amazing. She's awesome. Are you talking about one of her daughters, is, the older one, Bianca? Yeah. She was. Yeah. 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 Mommy. She was mommy, amazing. Was yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, it's, it's so yeah. interesting, too, that Olivia's doing this all... Again, she's brilliant. First of all, I should say, too, that this is not her type at all. This is... This is not what she would be asked for, which is which is Maggie Gyllenhaal even guessed. They're like, let's see, she did the favorite and then immediately got the crown. And then, you know, yeah, she got to have fun with the father last year. But like, come on, like we got to mm-hmm. stop casting her as regal. Like she's the comedy person at the beginning. Yeah, the the so father was definitely a comedy romp for the whole family. <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah, two back-to-back comedies. The father and the lost daughter. Yeah. That's right, yeah. So um I just buzzing all this for that. So she's yeah. hilarious. So, so Maggie was like, I don't want to I don't want to beat around the bush. So the best thing to do is just cast the most empathetic person you've ever met in your life. <laughs> and just um just let, and tell her when she says I left, she says it's so matter of fact that it's like mm. and, and to think that there's like, as you said, I think Johnny said it's unspoken, right? It's, I mean, how many things are so universal and so unspoken as when you're a parent dreaming about leaving your, your kids, at least for a period of time, you know, what, what your life would be like if you didn't have kids, knowing that for the rest of your life, you're a parent and you're going to worry about your kids. Like you can't even wait for them to grow up. There's, it's just not an option. So to say it's so matter of a fact, like, and, and Olivia's not, she doesn't have kids in this movie. She does. Her character does, but Jesse Buckley is the one who's actually parenting the kids. Olivia Colman's on a beach getting, you know what I mean? It's like, what a burden that she has as an actress to take that on kind of on behalf of all women by herself on a beach in the middle of Greece. Like, and the it's reason, on her shoulders. This whole movie's on her shoulders and it's really, she really is That's amazing. very well said. And I think, mm. I think because of that, another thing that was refreshing to me I'm just, of course, I'm just thinking about script writing like all the time right now. And I keep, I keep trying to imagine this, like this image in my head of like, you have your audience and you have the writer. And as soon as the audience passes the writer in terms of what they know, you're dead. So like, how do you keep just ahead of them or way ahead of them? And, you know, you're reeling people in. This could have in, let's give it up to Maggie Gyllenhaal, I guess. I'm sure it's in the novel as well, but this could have just been a very, predictable rumination on shame and it's not yeah it does yeah i still agree with what we said earlier it's not a thriller but this kind of it's not it's not denial either this kind of um matter of factness that olivia coleman's character has about who she was and what she did and where she is now she's still working we see her on the beach mostly working she's on holiday Mm. but she says it's a working holiday so it's not like she's just this this shell of a human who's just, you're just kind of like, all right, get over with it. God damn it. Just tell me, did the daughter die or did you, what happened? Just get it, get it. Let's just say it. Cause we already know it's going to happen. I didn't know that happened when they finally got there. And I think it's in the way the character was written, filmed and, and portrayed. That was very refreshing to me that I really, I'm not going to say I was Hitchcock on the edge of my seat, but it was cathartic to realize there was something that happened. They were, te- something was going to be revealed. 
And I don't think I expected it to be that specific detail. I left for three years and then I came back and, and I am not a very good person. And I've just kind of lived my life dealing with that for the rest of my life without seeming like a weird, disgusting sag sack. Well, she is weird. <laughs> Can we talk yeah, about yeah. the baby doll? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, let's talk about the baby. I mean, the- not as weird as the kid that was biting it. Oh, yeah, what the right. fuck? Oh, beautiful, dude. I beautiful. Mean, she, she, that, was, that, that kid is either a serial killer or my rewatch of Criminal Minds is kind of making me judge. This, this is Dakota Johnson's daughter in the movie? Yeah. yeah. Dude, well, let me kids ask, before do we, weird before fucking we get into, shit, dude. Yeah. yeah before we get true. into the doll, let me ask you two a question because there's going to be ambiguity in how people respond to this movie and what they think it means or what it's about. Do you think, Olivia, so so there, there's a parallel between Dakota Johnson wanting to you know, get out of her situation and imagine what life would be like if she didn't have this daughter who's going missing and is a terror and all that kind of stuff. You're 100% right. And then Olivia Coleman, and I, I like how it, it unfolds. Like the longer Olivia Coleman ruminates on that situation, the more Jesse Buckley with the younger, you know, the more that comes. Like the longer the movie gets, the more Jesse Buckley we see, you know, because it's almost like it's going through Olivia Coleman. Like she can't escape this. Do you think Olivia Coleman wants to relive this? Do you think she wants to ruminate on it? Or do you think she's really trying to avoid it? By Olivia Coleman, I mean the character. Mm. It's like, is, is the point of this to approach shame? Does she stumble upon it? Because like, that's kind of what this is about, but the character doesn't... I do think she... Like, this is not like she's trying to solve, find herself. D- yeah, that's, that's what not I was... Tr- beach yeah, vacation. That's, that's what I was trying to say, is that they, it does feel like she kind of stumbled because... In a lot of the, there are so many things that we said uh, earlier about like how the lack of dialogue. Well, a lot of the stuff that we're trying to we're, we're crudely trying to discuss right now is literally just done by the inference that you get from looks that Olivia Coleman just gives uh, Dakota, uh, excuse me, Dakota Johnson on the beach when mm. Olivia Coleman is starting to just see that Dakota Johnson is very frustrated under the sometimes not so much under the surface, sometimes on the surface. With her, with her little daughter, Dakota Johnson's daughter. And so it's just, uh, I, I don't know. It's almost like, again, I think they did a good job of kind of towing the line between trying to make a statement that this is shameful and Olivia Coleman is trying to have some deliverance of dealing with it through telling this young woman not to do it. It didn't feel anything like that, but it also didn't feel like she was no. running from it. I think that weird, shameful or, or judging thing. Dakota Johnson. I thought she'd be judging her. I, I, I feel like I feel like it was almost like her her character has these unresolved issues, and she took the doll because of that. And she she basically in the end describes it as this is I was playing. This is how I I so, was playing with you. So did you did you did she realize what she was doing when she took the doll? Because they filmed that really well. So let's tell them. Let's catch not. people up what we're talking about if we're if we're going to. Well, I, the doll I hope if we're in the spoiler section, they've seen this. <laughs> <I really Yeah. Hope. laughs> yeah. yeah. They take this fucking doll at one point. Or the, the, what I mentioned she earlier, when the, we think, when the we think she does. She lost. just sees it in her back. I kind of thought she was getting fucked. But Chloe even thought she was that somebody else planted the doll on her back. No, she definitely took the doll. Uh, no, we I don't. Think she we took don't. It. We didn't yeah. see it. Though. I know. We, we mm. see. This is what I mean. We have different interpretations because I thought this was a thriller. I thought. The, I thought that family was fucking with her. It, it was why because she kept hiding it in cabinets. I was like, is she afraid to give it back? I. I. I was really confused about it. So I'm just anyway. Okay, you answered my question. That was very, it was very, uh, I think that was meant to like kind of give you the impression that this sweet woman that you've endeared yourself to is not quite okay. That's what I was like, saying. There's really. a little, there there's a little so bit many... of worm under the, there's some worms under the surface. Yes. It's almost yeah, like it's to throw back this to the fruit bowl. Yeah. That's good. There I'm are, not going to buzz you because that was spot on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a, I think that's one of my biggest takeaways that I've kind of just been thinking about today is that Olivia Coleman we don't know if it was the beginning when she left her children. Like it's probably not the very beginning that that person chose to leave her children. But since then, it's not like she's on some Jean Valjean path of redemption. There are clearly things that she is still enabling in her behavior that are very selfish. And she does say it literally towards the end of the movie. I'm a very selfish person. After she says, I took the dogs Hmm. playing with it. Um, And I, I feel like what Maggie Gyllenhaal's done in this point is she's, crafted something that basically leaves it tells three quarters of the story and the rest is your interpretation which is awesome dude which means that everyone is (laughs) going to take something different away from this as we just proved um so like it's it's a case of it's open to interpretation like why she took the doll did she take the doll uh right up to at the end like is she alive or dead 
Yeah, I mean, yes, dude. So in that sense, all right, that's a perfect thing because I was just about to say, in that sense, it is a little mysterious. It's not a, yeah. it's not a cold, hard-boiled mystery. It doesn't read like, you know, Agatha Christie or anything like that. Nobody's mm-hmm. solving anything. But as an audience member, you are, and Maggie Gyllenhaal is clearly taking you on this weird, trancey, hypnotic kind of mystery mm. of trying to understand what the fuck yeah. happened to this woman. One thing that I was trying to determine was, are we supposed to be thinking that she is also going through it? I couldn't tell if we were more objective outside of her and we were getting to just watch the past or if we were supposed to be inside her head and which is you know it's kind of hard to imagine that just because it was so purposefully kind of yeah uh, i feel like it was a little bit the of, way they the time was yeah. handled in present day the way it moved from the time the timeline of present like was, day was also intermittent a little bit of both i mean i i when when we went into the flashbacks a lot of them were pulled back we, we, didn't, we didn't get as many extreme close-ups Mm-hmm. so you're totally like right. that was that was the story and then when you go back to the present time like that is kind of open to interpretation what's going on there yeah but she's what's happening to her is causing these flashbacks but what's happening to her and that's the bit you have to fill in it's like isn't if i hold good? my hand up half off camera and go how many fingers am i holding up dave isn't that it good could be two it could be four it could be yeah how many filmmakers uh, would have done the opposite you would take your, you would put a more dreamlike kind of strange coverage style on the past because of the, yes. and you would, you would cover the present mm. in a more literal. And this was the, this was the exact they did the opposite. opposite. Yeah. yeah. That was a really good call. We, I'm glad we tapped into that. That's a really specific choice. There's no way they did not discuss that. <laughs> I have a, they, they made that I have choice. A, <laughs> I have a favorite scene. Do you guys have a favorite scene in this movie? Well, I kind of wanted to, I want to hear your scene and I kind of want to talk, go back to what Dave was saying. There were so many moments between people yeah. that are weird and I've never really seen before somebody like create weird, <laughs> yeah. strange, tense moments that I just thought it was magical. So I have several I kind of wanted to mention, but mention yeah, how many times you walk away going, what the fuck was that? What was yeah. that? Well, especially yeah. like, yeah. the visual yeah. storytelling versus a, no- a novel would have, because a lot of it was like eye glances from across the beach. Like there were a couple of times where Dakota Johnson's character was staring at Olivia Coleman for like 30 seconds straight which is a very long time for staring at somebody. And also her, her kid's like running around the beach and she's just like staring at Olivia Coleman, like not minding her kid. And I, I bet you in the novel, it would have been like her gaze lowered and stared at, and I, I, I brushed aside lingered. a strip of sweat. And it's like, in, in the, all we do is we're just watching. You know what I mean? How different yeah. it is a novel versus screen. Oh, I think the, I think the best scene is when Ed Harris is there and the dolls on the table outside. Was, me too. I was, I was, that was going to be the first one I brought up. Like what? The why, fuck? why doesn't she hide the doll? And then she gives it actually. So another question that I have to you guys, because at the end, she she gives spoiler. She gives it all back to Dakota Johnson. Why doesn't she hide the doll from Ed Harris? And then why does she give the doll back? Does she want to get? I think so. Does she want to? Does she want to yeah. mention it? Does she want to say, like, I just wanted to do this? Like, did, I, why did she do it? Why didn't she just throw it in a dumpster and call? Like, I don't know why she let those two people see that it was her. It's so interesting, right? It's almost and like she. It was almost like a subconscious cry for help. Yeah, I think, and I bet yeah. she had. I got wow. the sensation when it, so, that, so that moment was my favorite one that I was going to talk about the weird tension, how casually he went out there, the lack of dialogue. They never say like, yeah. "What's the doll do?" It's nothing like that at all. He's out there smoking. She lets him go out there. They stand there. She walks out and just joins him. They don't really talk about it, but clearly he's seen it. And it just sits in this very strange tension. And I did get the feeling that, all right, it's not redemption, but maybe it's a little bit of a, maybe a little bit of a exposure. Like she kind of wanted, not necessarily just to get caught, but like, it's almost like she's on a mission to just slowly kind of prove to people that I can charm you. And then I'll reveal to you that I'm not a very good person. And I've never really Mm. been able to deal with that. Everywhere I go, (laughs) I do something like this. Yeah. And again, that's why I was so happy that they don't really show you any of her life other than the past. They don't show you any of her present life outside of this island. So you don't no, really know don't how her working relationships are. Yeah, you don't know if she's even that successful anymore. I think she teaches at Harvard. She said she lives in Cambridge, so she probably teaches there and ended up doing very well for herself. <laughs> but come on. I mean, we know plenty of people. That doesn't necessarily mean a full life just because you have a lot of, you know, whatever your business is success so i thought that was really effective that they 
basically built this whole thing to show you that she wanted people to eventually find out she took the doll. She wanted people to understand that there's something wrong with her. Uh, guys, help me clarify this other moment. What did she whisper to Ed Harris after he hit on her at the bar? Do you remember when she walked over to him in kind of a flirty mood and she leans down and whispers something to him? It sounds like it was almost in Italian. I had no idea what the hell she said or why that moment happened, but it left hmm. me confused in a fun way. Eric Harris was like, what the fuck? Like he didn't know what happened either. I thought that was a really excellent moment where she's like, do you mind if I finish my dinner now? Remember when he was hitting on her at the yeah. bar and he was like, oh, I'll buy that for you. And she was like, do you mind if I... You're good now. You can walk away. And then she oh walks God, over I to can't... him and whispers something in his ear. And then the scene is over. And I just, it was strange to me. Yeah. Because... It's like, your dick is out. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck did she say? <laughs> uh, that was really good. The first, the first scenes between uh, her and the whole family, but the first scene between hers and Dogmara, Dogminage, sorry, I'm sorry, butchering that name, on the beach. Yeah. The first exchange, of course, no, I don't. I heard what you said. Thank you. But I'm, I'm not going to move. You know, we all like we, we've all I think at that oh, point, I was yeah. like, fuck, yeah, tell those fucking assholes that you're not moving. Like the the, <laughs> the quiet, introverted beach goer yeah. in me was like, tell these loud motherfuckers that you're not moving, bitch. Good for you. And then the second interaction was, whoa, this is shit that when I was teaching acting class, like that was one of my favorites. Get, yes. The exchange. Yeah, that is, the, that is, that was page, one of my favorite scenes. Jeff, help me out here, dude. Dave, we have all filmed actors. We worked with actors. Imagine what that read like on the page. Yeah. All of that, that was subtext. That, everything everything, that, brought to everything it. that woman said had razor blades in it. Oh that's why God. I was. That's why I thought they were messing with her with the doll. Which you know, it's you're, you're probably now. I, it's likely that she took it, but you understand why I thought they planted it, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah right. I, get that. I guess anything could have. My other, my other favorite was the uh, the, the dance. I was yeah. just about me too. When they, Those were they my dance to Bon Jovi, yeah. and then all of a sudden he's like, "You ha you should go," and she looks around. And they're just all standing there staring at her. I was like, "Oh, this is this. Yeah, you have no idea how much danger you're in now, right now." That was a, a really good dramatic moment. And again, but it doesn't build to. But you don't know somebody putting you a gun to her head again. Right? Yeah, no, it's <laughs> not. It's like they're just they're just standing there threatening, and you don't know what the danger is. But there's fucking danger. Yeah. It kind of had. It kind of oh gave gosh. me um, talented Mr. Ripley vibes. Uh, there were certain parts of this where, like, I feel like Maggie Gyllenhaal understood how to how to use and exploit the, the tension that can come from secrets, like secret relationships. So, like, whenever mm. Dakota Johnson and her were talking to each other, I was always like, "Oh shit!" Like, something they could just maybe somebody's going to say something they shouldn't even say between the two of them. Much less is somebody going to see them. What is happening with that family? Are they watching Dakota? It just always felt like I was I mean, never comfortable this, when she was talking yeah. to this anybody. Is a, <laughs> this, this is a textbook on like show don't tell though as well. Yeah. Like yeah. there's, there's some, there is some interesting dialogue, but this is definitely textbook on show don't tell. Which yeah. Jeff, you know, you've said it, you said it like two or three times now and it, it couldn't be said enough. People had struggle with adapting novels for this exact reason it's just hard to put the most compelling aspects of what literature and reading can do into cinema in, in terms of dialogue. You have to just let actors feel it and you have to just hope that whatever is felt as an audience member by the way you compose your shots and cadence of editing and all that crap. Yeah. And this was just, uh, this was, yeah, again, this was one reason why I just felt like it was so refreshing. I don't think we're supposed to know the answers to any of these things. I think we are supposed to sit in this kind of sinister tension and we're not even supposed to be sure if we enjoyed watching this or enjoyed her character. I don't think we're supposed yeah. to, but I mm, overwhelmingly no. feel not, obviously we're three men, obviously folks, we're three men. We've not had children. We, we don't know what it's like being a mother, but if they were supposed to try to help me tap into what that might feel like, it, I got there. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I was really so disturbed by how it, I hope I would have not left my, you know, it's just like, oh man, there's humanity there. You hope you wouldn't yeah. do that. You hope you would be Dakota Johnson. And like, there is a limit. You're not going to actually do it. Like what the fuck is wrong with you? I was yeah. just complaining about my kids. <laughs> you mm. crazy person. By the, yeah. by the way, this is long overdue. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. So yeah, I think we all, uh, I'm curious, what do you think make you sure guys? That we still get our drinks in. What do you think? We, after this whole discussion, like I can't, I think I came out positively for it, but 
Do we like it more now that we've talked about it? Do you think people should should give I it do. a shot? I, I like it more now that I've talked about it. Um, it's and the, fa- the the I think the thing I like the most is that I talked a lot about it. Yeah. So like it inspired discussion, which is yeah. what what this is about. I will say, wait, Chloe said something really funny though that I want to mention, which is while Jesse Buckley's character, so many crying babies, and she just like was at her wit's end. So like the one baby was like, I have a cut, kiss it, kiss it, mommy, and she's like, ah, Jesse Buckley won't kiss it, Chloe. She's like. Can she just fucking kiss the boo boo? Like, can she just kiss the? I, what the fuck? And I was like, yeah, you know, she's going crazy. And Chloe's like, no, I know, but just kiss the fucking boo boo, and then your problem's over for another minute. Like, I was like, good point. Sounds interesting. Like, hey man, fair, fair, Chloe's in the advice. right place. But come on, I waited tables for years. How many times, Jeff? Help me out. You did too. How many times did you walk up to a table and you were like, if you don't murder your child, I will. Like, what yeah. the fuck? How is nobody yeah, dude, doing I, anything about this fucking I, kid? I did. I did. <laughs> I did six years of children's theater. Like, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm right there with no, you. We also, oh my of, course, of, of course, of course, of course she understood, but it's funny on film. You always have these like moments that represent an entire well, it's also, know, life. And, and this is the last thing I'll say. And again, so many crying babies. So many crying babies. <laughs> you always hear that like, oh, it's different when it's your kids. I think this film showed us the underbelly yeah. of, of that scenario. It's not always the yeah. case. I think there are people who struggle raising children and they probably feel enormous amounts of shame and we probably haven't done a great job as a society of making people feel comfortable to talk about how difficult it is raising human beings. What did she say? Uh, her very first phrase when what's her name was talking to her about she's two months away. And I think I think Olivia Coleman said having children is a crushing responsibility. I love yeah. that. The first thing she says. Yeah. She says so Dakota Johnson's good. character. Crushing responsibility. I was like, and oh, also something happened. Wait, sorry. I, 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 know, I know we need to wind this down, but Dakota Johnson very very famous for the gray the 50 shades she she only wears a bikini and eyeliner in this that's like the only thing she wears the whole movie and she's a young mom who is thinking about leaving her kids so she's like terribly worried about what people think of her you know they they're like yeah. you look at me mm. and you think this one thing and how her wild performance was, was phenomenal it really was cuz she's like i don't want you to think i'm just this person but why do I want to be that person? It's like, it was such a weird dilemma that she had. And of course, Olivia Coleman's first thing is that it's a crushing responsibility. And you can, you can see in Dakota Johnson's face, like, well, that's not what I wanted you to say. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, I, I need some reassurance and you've literally just reinforced what I yeah. was feeling. Yeah, exactly. But it was, it was yeah. a weird also under, it was like a knowing it was like an understanding, like, Oh shit. Like you understand me, but are you judging me? And man, it was everything at so many angles and layers. It was really, really cool. Yeah. And I don't want to. I think I'm, you I'm looking, I'm looking it, forward. But, um, to, I'm looking forward to Maggie Gyllenhaal's next. To be yeah, honest, like if that, yeah, movie. Sure, yeah. I mean, like that's if she can get that impressive. performance out of that cast, it was amazing. Yeah. And Jesse Buckley, I Even just you already said it, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to say just uh, I don't want to pull the shine here. It's almost like Jesse Buckley did such a good job, even though she doesn't look exactly like Olivia Coleman, that I still thought of her as a young Olivia Coleman. So yeah, Jessica oh, did her own thing and she nailed it. Never once those, did I those... did I think that was someone else. <laughs> I know. Honestly, Peter they, don't look, for... they don't even look that much that similar. But Peter yeah. Sarsgaard, tough role. Tough role for Peter Sarsgaard is like this weird love interest who's like obsessed with the academia and brain of Jesse Buckley or Olivia Coleman's younger self. And like, you know, that the character can easily make you want to vomit, but he, whatever he did was was really good. Yeah. Very effective film. Right. Definitely, uh, if you're I in the mood should... to sit down and take something seriously and not just be entertained, <laughs> yeah. this is a good one. Make the time. Make yeah. the time. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go ahead and go around the horn really quick with a quick round of what we've been watching. Dave, what have you been watching? Oh, I, I, well, I know nothing new. Uh, I prep myself for what's coming. So I watched uh, Fantastic Beasts 1 and 2. Oh, cool. <laughs> Again, Sorry, I uh, myself for saying that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, number three is coming and having watched Johnny Depp do that role again, I cannot wait to see Mads Mikkelsen do that role. Yep. <laughs> I'm going to buzz. Yeah, buzz yourself. Good. Yeah. I mean, we, we love us the third actor Mads. playing that role. <laughs> that is Colin so Farrell weird. did it, but it was really yeah, Johnny Depp. But now it's really Whatever. Colin Farrell is No, to be honest, I, I want to see Mads do this because like too. Johnny Johnny Depp almost got there yeah, with the so Sinister, too. but he, did, he didn't quite get there. And I feel like Mads can pull that shit off. And just yeah. imagining Jude Law and Mads Mikkelsen having weird adolescent wizard sex is, you know, who doesn't want to <laughs> think about that? Right? <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> 
I'm buzzing you, but I'm still thinking about it. Weird. <laughs> uh, speaking of John, Harry Potter, you're prep, uh, John, you're prepping watched, a film. And you, you get, yeah, I'm busy producing some crap, but I did uh, finishing up our, our my winter break. I watched the Harry Potter reunion. I don't know if you guys. Oh, saw me that too. On, uh, yeah, on HBO. Did you Did you see the original with all the errors in it, or the fixed version? I guess I saw the fixed version because. Elizabeth okay. was mentioning some of the errors that came up and I didn't see any of them. Like she told me about them and then she okay, fell cool. asleep and I watched the mm. whole thing and I didn't see any of the weird <laughs> things people were talking about. Um, yeah. So maybe I they fixed it. on the second. So maybe I, I, maybe they'd fix it by that time. It yeah, I just watched first. it like two nights ago, two or three nights ago. But uh, oh, because okay. of yeah, that, no, I ended up now. watching, I watched the first one again. I watched a little bit of the second one and then I stopped yeah. and I watched uh, Matrix Resurrections. <clears throat> That's what I watched. How about you, Josh? <laughs> <laughs> That's um, just for watching it. Well, I still had COVID. Oh. Yeah, I still had COVID last week, so um, I actually binged. Chloe and I binged the fuck. We love British crime dramas, and so we watched. Oh, yeah, um, of course, we watched uh, The you, Stranger. Watched, not to be you confused. Killing Eve yet? Watch Killing, Killing Eve, dude. I've already seen yeah, Killing I'll, Eve. I'll I love Killing Eve. Um, the Stranger, which is not to be confused with the 20 other things named the stranger or something similar, yeah. but it's this, it's this British show starring Richard Armitage from the Hobbit. Um, apparently what's the guy Niles from Buffy, the vampire slayer. Who's also in Ted Lasso. Is in this movie like this? Anthony head. Yeah. Um, anyway, it's, it's a fucking it binge worthy show. It's, it's one of the, <laughs> to be honest, the first it's eight episodes. The first five episodes are just building more exposition, more questions. And then the last three episodes, it's answer, 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 it's answer, answer, answer. Mm. And that was right up our alley. We binged the fuck out of that. But the big, So it's like David Lynch, except the, for the last three episodes. Except he actually gives you answers, yeah. <laughs> um, and we watched, we watched Antlers. Mm. Wait. Antlers. Antlers did you text great. us we about that or did you say yeah, that yeah, last yeah. week? I want, I want an Antlers too. Yeah, it was cool. Thank I you. I'm so glad you liked it, dude. I really enjoyed it as well. And nobody talked it. Nobody saw it. Nobody talked about it. <laughs> it's a renter. It's I've, not, I've it's seen not for many, free, many. I've seen many, many articles about it. It's great. That's cool. So I mean, I'm looking I'm just, forward Scott to. Cooper, I'm kind of obsessed him. with Scott Cooper. I, it, what is up with people are just sleeping on that guy? I mean, he, he came out hot with Crazy Heart, but he hasn't really missed for me. I, I'm always in. I always like his movies a lot. Sometimes I fucking love them, but uh, this was a weird, cool version. Guillermo yeah. del Toro. Just I think I said it already, but uh, several weeks ago, but Guillermo del Toro approached him to make this movie. And his pitch uh-huh, was, right. uh, his pitch was that Out of the Furnace is a horror movie, and he he's a horror director. Hostiles is a horror movie, and he just didn't mm. realize it yet. So you know that's fun. Of course, there's a whole fairy tale well, element with the Guillermo del Toro thing. But if, if the tone if matched, Guillermo, if Guillermo calls me, he doesn't need a fucking pitch. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you want me to do what? Yeah, yeah sure. Like, yeah. Oh, okay, I guess I'm doing that. Guillermo del Toro, dude. Well, I saw. Yeah. I've just, I'll just mention this very quickly, just anecdotally. That man is so intelligent. I think sometimes he comes off kind of like he's he's just like the big Santa Claus of movie making and stuff. He's just so happy and enthusiastic. I saw him in a a capstone project at USC at the end of last semester. It was about Hispanics and Latinx presence in the media, but and um, he was their big yeah. interview, and the whole movie kind of built to them this documentary. And that he was so intelligent and articulate. And grounded, he said so many amazing things in like two minutes. Just like fucking dropped it. That guy does not. I, I'm yeah. glad he finally won for a Shape of Water. But um, I Antlers made me want to just go over his entire filmography. Dave, aren't you a fan of Pacific uh, Rim, or is that just me? <laughs> no, I am. Yeah, yeah. even oh, yeah. those that people like, kind I, of I talk shit about. I, I still enjoy those movies. <laughs> I saw that in theaters and I was like, well, this is going to be, you know, whatever. My friend Addy wanted to watch it. And I was like, holy shit. That being said, I, I don't know if this, this, this has some subtext. What I'm going to buzz myself because I haven't seen Nightmare Alley. I still haven't seen Nightmare Alley, so I oh, need yeah, to go Sam. see that. Neither have I. Yeah. Shit. Um, I mean, I, I was going to see it, but COVID. COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Really quick, COVID. really quick, yeah. Scott Cooper's shout out. So the next I movie, don't I, really have want, yet. I really want Antlers 2 from Scott Cooper. He's doing an Edgar Allan Poe movie. And guess who's playing Edgar Allan Poe? I'll tell you, it's Harry Melling, who is the original Dudley huh. in Harry Potter. And then, of course, he was in The Queen's Gambit uh, and that Coen Brothers, the Buster Scruggs. So he's playing Edgar and Poe. But check out the rest of this cast. Toby Jones, Christian Bale for the third time. Christian Bale. Whoa. Robert Duvall, Gillian Anderson, Timothy Spall, Lucy Boynton, Charlotte Gainsbourg. Duvall. Dude, and, that sounds and, horrible. And oh. this movie has a $72 million budget, according to IMDb. So... <laughs> 
Scott Whoa. Cooper. I hope this comes out this year. I hope it comes out this year. We'll see. 72 mil. You can do a lot with that. All right. A lot of good movies out, out there, folks. Hit your streamers definitely doing up. The power of the, Everything is on the streamers. Definitely do the power. <laughs> definitely do the power of the dog next week. Rent antlers if you can. And we'll see you next time. Take it easy, Phil fans. Peace.